Welcome to another edition of Two Strike Noise. I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me as usual from our Seattle studios, it's America's baseball podcasting sweetheart, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome. Man, if I had a nickel for every time I've been called that, <laughs> I'd get changed back or something. I don't know. But I appreciate that. Hey, everybody. Good to be back. Good to be talking some baseball. All right, so we're going to not talk about Yankees and, and Mets hitters uh, this week again. We are, though, going to revisit our new topic that we've been talking about a lot and the five greatest baseball players alive. Yes. yes. I've been doing a lot of thinking. We've got a lot of people who have been talking to us about it on social media. We appreciate that. We've gotten a lot of input. Uh, yep. One thing that I realized right now is that and this was several people asked me about this. A lot of people don't believe that either Bob Gibson or Nolan Ryan are still alive. <laughs> Which, and, and I get the terrifying. Nolan Ryan thing because a lot of people were like, well, Mark didn't mention him. So I assumed he was no longer with us. But Nolan Ryan is alive and kicking. I even posted on uh, on Twitter. He just did a PSA called Don't Be a Knucklehead telling people to continue to social distance and to wear masks and all that stuff. But there was no mention of Advil whatsoever. Oh, well, you know what? The man's out there still doing his stuff and people like me are still listening. Yep. So Nolan Ryan is, is very much alive and kicking Bob Gibson. Last I heard was, was battling cancer, but he is still alive. But yes. I've been doing a lot of thinking, been been doing a lot of looking up stats and, and that kind of stuff. And I've decided that I, I've got my list right now. And I'm sure okay. I'm sure it'll probably change. I'm sure people will let us know that oh, you're an idiot. More I mean, more than my <laughs> wife. So this is my <laughs> this is my list. First of all, Kofax is out. Sandy Kofax is out. Too short of a career, and only half of it was dominant. The first half, he was pedestrian. So I'm, I'm going to say I, I'm going to have to pass on Sandy Koufax because I first in my mind, I decided I got to have two pitchers. I was going to go three batters, two pitchers. Uh, Bob Gibson, he was uh, he was in originally, then then he was out and now he's back in. So so Gibson okay. is back in. <laughs> and, and first of all, I, I know you are probably pretty familiar with Bob Gibson's numbers, but his 68 season, which is that's yeah. the season, I believe, that afterwards they they lowered the pitcher mound because of him. Because of his dominance. 22 and 9 with a 1.12 ERA. Yeah, sick. 28 complete games, 13 shutouts. He struck out 268 batters. His ERA plus was 258. That means his ERA was 158% better than the average ERA of the league that year. 158% better. His, his fielding independent pitching was 177, and his whip was 0.85. So that means for an average nine-inning game, nine guys did not reach pace. <laughs> That's that's crazy. At least via not him. You know, if it's a if it's an error, uh, something like that. Sure. And again, that's not even considering, you know, fielding range and all that kind of stuff, assuming he had good defenders behind him. Just incredible. He won the Cy Young and the MVP that year. Something I've always wondered about that with the one point one two ERA. How did he lose nine games? 
<laughs> exactly. What was his run support? <laughs> he, he, he had nine losses, and his ERA was just over one. What was going on out there? Oh, I don't know. But, I mean, okay, so that year, obviously, just in, incredible, right? Yeah. He pitched for 17 seasons. He, he ended yeah. up with a 251 and 174 record. You know, we're kind of beyond looking at records at this point, except for when, when you win 23, it's still pretty impressive. But we know there are other factors. But, I mean, just the, the sheer numbers that he put up in some of these seasons, and he's pretty consistent. I mean, from uh, 1963 through 1972, his two worst win totals were 16 and 18. Or no, I'm sorry. In in 67 he had 13. At a down year he was injured that year, so he didn't he didn't pitch in as many games. But I mean just strikeouts, wins, didn't put people on base, just an incredible incredible career that I am putting him on my list. He is along with Greg Maddox are my two pitchers. Um that those are two very worthy pitchers. Yeah, so now the two names that I think I might hear uh, would be Tom Seaver and Steve Carlton. Sure. I know why they're not on my list, and that's because I never saw one. Of, I didn't see Bob Gibson pitch either, obviously. I never saw Tom Seaver or Star, Steve Carlton pitch. And I think I've heard more about Bob Gibson than t- Tom Seaver or Steve Carlton. But you know, Tom Seaver averaged 15 wins a season for 20 years. He racked up three Cy Youngs and was Rookie of the Year. Steve Carlton is essentially the same, the yeah. same player, and I think yep. either of those could probably be interchanged with either Gibson or Maddox. But I'm going with Greg, and and Bob Gibson. Those are my two pitchers. Makes sense to me. And then of course we've got Willie Mays, and uh, Hank Aaron. I think those are two givens. And then yeah. I am sticking I'm, with my ride or die here. It's Mike Schmidt. Yeah, I, I had a, a gentleman contact me who was very adamant about Mike Schmidt. And I, I said, OK, let's take a look. And I, I'm, I tell you what, very worthy of being on the list. He had some numbers. Yeah, he's he's definitely my guy. I'm going to stick with him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm completely open. I We've got a lot of people that have given us some very unique answers. Um, and, yeah. and again, there is no wrong answer here, especially because most of not. these guys, if not every one of them are in the hall of fame. Right. We're not going to make fun of you. No, but I mean, you can make fun of us. We yeah, won't hear oh, you. Yeah, definitely. But for me, I mean, Schmidt had everything, you know, he was a power hitter. He did hit 316 one year in 1981. He hit 316. Wow. Uh, he was also MVP that year. One of his three over 500 home runs. As well as that, though, the defense, which is, you know, again, I am looking, I'm encompassing everything. I'm looking, I need at least a four tool player to be in, included in this list. Yeah. And, and he well, was, he was he definitely, definitely got one there. Yeah. So not much of speed, you know, but he did steal 29 bases in 1975. He stole 23 the year before. He ended up with 174 stolen bases. Very respectable. That I mean, that's he had double-digit stolen bases in like seven or eight of his seasons of his eighteen years. So not bad. I'm going to go with that. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. I do want to, however, we've been called out by 
by uh, our friends over at the Baseball Beyond Batting Average podcast about Ichiro. Now, Uh-oh. I suggested Ichiro. I was just kind of spitballing when I when I threw him out there, and I didn't necessarily mean that I was going to put him in my top five. But I I want to look at his numbers, and I am combining his Japanese numbers with his major league numbers because okay. he was obviously a legitimate player in Japan as well. Sure. Over his uh, 28 seasons total, which is... Excuse me? How about, Say that again? <laughs> how about that just for longevity? Remember, he... Man. He debuted in Japan as an 18-year-old. That's crazy. Wow. In the majors, he had 3,089 hits. In Japan, he had 1,278 for a total of 4,367 hits. Wow. He totaled a career total of 235 home runs. 117 in the major, or I'm sorry, yeah, 117 in the majors, 118 in the NPB, which is very consistent, but he played 10 more years in the majors. But I've heard it a million times. Ichiro did what he was asked to do, and he was not asked to hit home runs here. Now, you've you've seen him in BP. Yeah, we've seen him in BP. (laughs) He just hits home run after home run after home run after home run. Yeah, and, you know, it is BP. We'll give him that. And we also know that, yes, the talent level in in the NPB is not that of the major leagues. But I'm not going to take anything away from him. The the dude just hit. Yeah. In the NPB, also, his his OPS was 943. (laughs) Wow. In the majors, it was 757. That's quite a quite a difference. That's but different, I mean, yeah. his slugging in the NPB was 522, and in the majors, it was 402. But again, he he needed to get on base, which he did not do via walks. But right. <laughs> but right. you know, and and I talked about being at least a four tool player. The guy oh, has geez. speed, and the guy had a gun. Yeah, fantastic defensive player, Gold Glove winner. Uh, great range uh, in right field. He even played center field pretty well the one year he was asked to. Is he yeah, but the gun? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't want to overlook his pitching either. The one game that he uh, that he appeared in uh, with the Miami Miami Marlins, where well, he, no, didn't, he, he didn't that. give That's up a, a run, goal. but he was. I remember how excited he was that he got to do that. But I am, and again, I'm not. I'm not campaigning to put Ichiro in the top five living players, but he is in a very short list of yeah. the top living baseball players. Yeah, so. I agree. He's got to be part of the conversation. Before we get to debuts here, Mark, I want to I want to tell everybody about something we're doing that we're really excited about. Mark and I are going to be on a new app that you can get on your phone, and it's called Hot Mike. Now, we are not sponsored by Hot Mike. We're just telling you where you can listen to us, where we're doing something fun. This is a free app. You can find it on your app store. It's iOS. It's Android, whatever. Uh, likewise, you can go on the, the internet. Just go to Hot Mike. That's H-O-T-M-I-C dot I-O. And uh, it's going to ask you for an invite code so that you can get this for free. All you need to do is type in Two Strike Noise. That is all capital letters. All one word, T-W-O-S-T-R-I-K-E-N-O-I-S-E. It's just the name of our podcast. 
We wanted to make it difficult for you yeah. to, to be able to in. <laughs> I guess we could shorten it, but too late at this point. But what you can do here is when there is sports on TV, and uh, so if baseball, Major League Baseball comes around again, we'll probably do this for some live games. Right now we're doing it for on-demand games that are on YouTube. So you can listen to this and do this at any point. You just pull up your app, uh, choose our show, and uh, you can watch some old games with us, and we are going to essentially be talking about them, calling them, kind of doing what we do here, but just really uh, about a game. So our first game that will have already happened by the time you hear this, Mark and I uh, are going to sit down and watch Game 7 of the 2001 World Series. That's the New York Yankees versus the Arizona Diamondbacks. Game 7, excitement. I'm sure you already know what happens, but you know, we won't, we won't discuss it here, but I'll never forget what happens. Are you kidding me? That was one of the best days of my life. (laughs) So what you can do though, is, is you can pull up this app. You can, uh, our commentary will be there. If we're doing it live, you can jump in and chat with us. Uh, more than likely though, I, I sense people will probably just want to do this on their own time. Uh, the URL for the game will be there so you can pull it up on YouTube, I would suggest doing it on your computer where you've got an ad blocker so you don't get any ads. There's a little helpful hint. But you can put it on your TV, whatever, your smart TV, your you can Chromecast it, whatever. All you got to do is you just turn down the volume and uh, put our put our feed from your phone, either in your headset or out on your Bluetooth speakers or whatever, and listen to us BS about the game as it goes on. So we'll be talking about Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson, and I'll put I'll put this information in our show notes as well. We've also been uh, putting it out on social media, but we'd love to have you listen to us. This is a free thing. It's just something we're doing for fun. So uh, I'll put all that in the show notes again. It's uh, hot Mike, H-O-T-M-I-C dot I-O. Please, I hope you'll join us and just, you don't even have to listen to the whole thing. Just listen to a couple innings when yeah. you've got some time, and hopefully it's fun. Come hang out with us. You hang out with us listening to this. Come hang out with us another time. Yeah. We're going to be not just office friends. We're going <laughs> to we're going to hang out outside of the office. All right. Let's get into our debuts. I actually have quite a few debuts here. Uh, this show is dropping on June 16th. Um, wanted to tell you that on this day in 1905, Branch Rickey made his debut for the St. Louis Browns. Wow. Most people don't remember Branch Rickey as a player, obviously. He was a catcher, though. Did you know that? I did not know that. Well, at least he he put on the tools. Well, actually, he didn't. The catchers didn't have quite all the gear there. He played only for four years. He hit 238, or 239, excuse me, uh, overall for his career. In 1906, though, he he was eighth in the home run race. Do you know how many home runs he hit that year? No. This is the dead ball era. He came in eighth. He hit three home runs. <laughs> wow, he's a masher. Yeah. He's <laughs> Ranks up there with home run Baker. Yeah. Uh, Branch Rickey uh, still holds a record, though, to this day, because in one game, the opposition stole 13 bases against him while he was behind the plate. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, so Branch Rickey, beyond being the GM of the Dodgers, which is what most people know him from, he was the GM of the Cardinals during the Gas House Gang era. No, I did not know that. Yeah, I did no not kidding. either. 
So that's, I mean, that was one of the greatest teams in baseball history. Uh, Obviously, though, as I said, he's known for being the GM of the Dodgers, where he integrated baseball by signing Jackie Robinson in 1947. He is also credited with coming up with the concept of the farm system for Major League Baseball, which we know and we have discussed is actually an idea. I'm going to just say he stole instead of took from the Negro Leagues. Yes. Uh, He's also credited with coming up uh, with uh, some, some different ideas. Uh, when it comes to to operating a baseball team, uh, one of those was that he was the first GM when he was with the Pirates that required his players to wear batting helmets, which is rather huh. unique because a lot of teams at that point d- even didn't follow his lead and people were still out there just wearing their, their normal hats like they would in the field. Uh, one thing I found out uh, about him is that uh, he did not compensate the Kansas City Monarchs of the Negro Leagues for the rights to obtain Jackie Robinson. No kidding. It's kind of a dick move, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, nor did he pay for the rights for Don Newcomb, who he also plucked from the Negro Leagues. So for, for all the <laughs> idealistic things he did, he also just plundered uh, some things from the Negro Leagues, some concepts and some players. But... There you go. Yeah. All right. 1986. You'll like this one. Jamie Moyer makes his debut for the Chicago Cubs. Jamie Moyer. What a what a unique pitcher and all around good guy. Yeah. So Moyer on this day, he squared off against the Phillies where he beat Steve Carlton, who we mentioned earlier. Wow. Jamie Moyer went six and a third innings, gave up eight hits, five runs, four of which were earned, struck out two and walked three. He ended up pitching 25 seasons, compiled a record of 269 and 209. Uh, he went 145 and 87 in the 11 years with the Mariners, which were kind of his peak seasons. Yes. He's one of only 18 pitchers to get a win against all 30 teams. Of course, that pool's a little bit smaller because we've only had 30 teams for, for 20, 25 years, but right. still one of only 18 to do that currently uh, Moyer also allowed a major league record 522 career home runs but when you pitch for a quarter of a century you know that'll happen yes at the time of his retirement Moyer had faced 8.9 percent of all major league hitters ever <laughs> that's incredible that's great that is incredible to I mean almost 10 percent of anybody that had ever stepped to the plate in major leagues, Jamie Moyer had faced. That's pretty crazy. Uh, Jamie met his first wife, Karen, when he was introduced by Harry Carey, when, uh, when Karen was an intern with WGN, when Jamie was with the Cubs. So Harry Carey making the matches. Way to go, Harry. Yeah. Speaking of the Cubs in a kind of a roundabout way, our final debut Today, in 1989, Sammy Sosa makes his Major League debut for the Texas Rangers. It was a a smaller version of Sammy Sosa. No, much smaller, much smaller version. I did not know this. I did not remember that Sammy Sosa also finished his career with the Rangers. Oh, I didn't know that either. Very briefly. Uh, On this day, though, Sammy Sosa went two for four. It was, a, it was actually a doubleheader against the Yankees. Uh, the first game, though, his very first game, he went two for four with a double. Uh, it just should be mentioned that uh, Ricky Henderson went one for two in that game with three runs, one RBI, three walks, and a double. 
I know everybody wanted to know about that. Yeah. Uh, first career home run for Sammy Sosa off Roger Clemens. No, it's a good way to start. Yeah. That was uh, 89, so that was probably pre-PED Roger Clemens. In 18 seasons, Sammy Sosa hit 609 asterisk home runs, uh, 128 OPS+. plus. He was the MVP in 1998 and led the league in home runs twice. Sosa is one of five players in baseball history to hit 60 or more home runs in a single season. So he joins Barry Bonds, Roger Maris, Mark McGuire, and Babe Ruth as the only players to hit 60 or more home runs in a single season. I think Babe Ruth is the only one of that group you can honestly say was not on PEDs of any sort. Because I think Roger <laughs> Maris probably had a, had have some amphetamines going on at some point, some greenies. But They were very popular back then. I don't want to say it for sure, but I'm, I'm going to guess it. But Sosa has hit a regular season home run in a major league record 45 different ballparks. That's crazy. That's a lot of ballparks. So there you go. So those are our debuts for June 16th. All right, Mark, we got to we got to hustle along. We've again, we're going long on. We've got so many things to talk about here and we want to get back into uh, our second part of our conversation with Richie Schaefer, the most interesting man in baseball. Yes, because uh, he is. I've got a trivia question I asked you last week, though. The question was between the years of 1980 and 1999, which franchise led Major League Baseball in stolen bases. Have you uh, have you come up with an answer? No, but I could guess. Well, that's that's good enough. Give me a guess. <laughs> I'm going to go with the St. Louis Cardinals. There you go. Very good. Hey, no kidding. Right on. I, they were they were known for that. Yeah, your your reasoning last week was was absolutely correct. It was uh, you know a lot of speed guys. You had Willie McGee. You had Vince Coleman. You had Terry Pendleton could even steal some bags. Ozzie Smith. Ozzie Smith. Yeah, and they did that for quite a while, especially during the '80s, and that carried yeah. them to the to the title. Now. In that in that time frame, eighty through ninety nine, the St. Louis Cardinals stole three thousand five hundred and sixty four bases. From two thousand through last year, the Tampa Rays were your leader in that time, and they stole only two thousand three hundred and eighty seven bases. So twelve hundred fewer wow. stolen bases than the wow. Cardinals did in that same time frame. That really shows you what a lost art it's become. All right. Uh, I got a new question for you. Uh-oh. I mean, oh, good. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go back to July of 2016. Jacoby Ellsbury of the New York Yankees breaks a record halfway through the season. So this is a single season record, and he broke it halfway through the season. Which record did he break? Okay. You're going to need to give me a week on that one. Yeah, you take your time. <laughs> I mean, you could Google it pretty easily, but uh, that's that takes the fun out of it. So try and think, what did Jacoby Ellsbury do well? He did so well that he broke a single season record halfway through a season. Um, he also, by the way, uh, is the career leader in the stat as well. So maybe that that's a little mm -hmm. bit of a clue. But Okay, okay. Yeah, so you think about that. And uh, we'll get back to that next week. But let us right now, let's jump back into our conversation. Part two with former Rays uh, first baseman outfielder Richie Schaefer, a.k.a. Dickie Danger. We've got some more things to cover. 
some interesting things. He was he played in the Atlantic League last year where they had robot umpires. We'll, we'll hear his thoughts on that as well as an interesting trip he took to Cuba. And you do not want to miss his Wax Packs Heroes. It is, uh, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a fun one. Ranks, ranks in the top five for sure. Yes. So uh, let us now jump right back into our conversation with Richie Schaefer. Well, I, I was thinking maybe we go a little bit, uh, talk a little bit about after baseball. Oh, okay. Because you got you got a lot going on right now, and and uh, it's pretty unique. You you uh, I would call you I wouldn't call you strange. I would call you eccentric. Can you accept that? <laughs> That's a great. Hey, I love it. That's fine. I'm perfect. Right. I I accept that for sure. Okay, so Mr. Eccentric, I got to ask you first of all, what were you doing in Cuba? Oh, in Cuba. Okay, yeah. So I mean, that was but that was actually during baseball. Um, that was. Oh, was it? So, okay. Yeah, so that was during baseball. That was for the um, the Rays. So MLB uh, had a team play the Cuban national team. And it, this was like a policy that President Barack Obama at the time was trying to like improve relations with Cuba. So they were trying to use MLB to sort of like bridge that really tense like political divide was something that like both countries loved with baseball and Cuba obviously loves baseball. So for, I don't know why, but they chose the Rays to go down there and play the Cuba national team. So we were down there for like three days, four days. And the day before the game, they had this giant uh, gala MLB hosted this huge gala. So it was like MLB, like MLB staff, obviously our entire Rays organization, all of these ESPN personnel, uh, like from anchors and personalities to corporate people in, in ESPN. And then you had a lot of the Capitol Hill from the White House. You had uh, the White House staffers, you had the chief of staff, you had secretary of state, you had the uh, treasurer, you had like basically all these super important, like basically the entire government of the United States was like at this gala as well. And it was this really cool. We also had like random people there. Like Jimmy Buffett was there for some reason. I have no idea. Well, why it was, wouldn't he be? I, I, why wouldn't Jimmy be there, right? Jimmy is like just hanging out. He's like five scotches deep at this party. I don't know. It's 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 it was it was a it was a bizarre place. But anyway, so we're we're just kind of mingling with some of the White House staff, and we end up running into uh, some White House staffers, and we're talking to them they're like grilling us on like politics stuff, like saying like, if we know anything about how like the government works in terms of stuff like that. And we're just, they're basically just like, are you smarter than a fifth grader type like questions about like, how long does the president get to stay in office? How long like, we obviously agree. <laughs> None of them. Right. Cause we're all morons. But um, I remember, I remember one of us asked like, okay, so obviously outside the president, like who, who here is like the biggest deal. Right. And they're looking around and they point to this guy and they're like, Hey, you see that guy right there. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, I can't tell you his name. I can't tell you what he does, but that is the most powerful man on earth right there. And I was like, get out of here. What are you talking about? Like, what are you, are you like, I was like, uh, what are you, shut up. And they're like, I thought they were messing with us. And they're like, no, I'm serious. And uh, so they call this guy over. He comes over to us. And I mean, he just seems like a pretty normal dude. I don't know, like, I honestly, even to this day, I, he's so normal looking that I don't even know if I'd be able to pick him out of a lineup because he doesn't have any, like, he didn't have any distinct feature, features, whatever. He's just like a normal middle-aged white guy. I don't know. <laughs> and right. so he basically, we, we introduce ourselves. He shakes our hand. He doesn't introduce himself. He just says, hello. The staffer's like, hey, these are some of the baseball players. And he's just like, 
well, good luck tomorrow, guys. Like, hope for the best. And they just like turns and leaves. And that was like literally the extent of the conversation. So the guy leaves. We're like, that guy's like, that guy works here. That, that's not, he's not, what are you talking about? That guy is a hostess. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not one of the, that is not one of the people who work for us. Like, he's like, no, listen, I'm telling you that I can't give you the exact details of what he does, but that man has more power than anyone on earth. And I was like, I don't believe you. But anyway, so, I can claim that maybe I, I met the head of the Illuminati. Maybe I didn't. Maybe these uh, White House staffers were just drunk and trying to like mess with us, but I don't know. <laughs> I have no clues to this day. I have no idea what that guy's name is. I don't know what he does. I still don't even know if they were completely messing with us, if they like walked away from that conversation. Like, God, those guys are idiots, but I don't know. <laughs> but I still to this day claim that I met the most powerful man in the world. I got a couple of other questions for you. So you played in the Atlantic League last year, Correct. which made quite a bit of no quite a bit of news just because mlb trying things the automated umpire uh, and some other rule changes uh when it goes to extra innings that kind of stuff as a hitter you're uh you you've you spent an entire season with automated umpires what uh, how did that how did that actually work out it was a nightmare wow <laughs> nightmare <laughs> horrible unless the technology improves by a hundred and fifty percent in the next couple of years, it will never ever be allowed in the MLB. The problem is the way the strike zone is defined on paper isn't how it is in, like applied in practice in the game. If that makes sense. For instance, there were tons of pitches that are curveballs that would strike the very they would clip just the very edge of the strike zone on the way down and they would bounce on the plate mm -hmm. and be called strikes because technically speaking, it hit the strike zone, but that is not the spirit of the rule. But I don't know if there's a way in which you can program the AI to have nuance like that. You know what I'm saying? True. So it's very black and white in terms of like what it allows and what it accepts. And there's just no way of creating. I, I just don't think we have the technology for it right now. Maybe we will soon. Maybe Elon Musk will make like a like a super robot for when we like move to Mars. We start playing baseball on Mars or something. You know what I mean? Like that can be an incredible umpire. But until that point, like there's just no uh, there's no gray area with these pitches. And so there's so many of these that like would not be considered strikes that are now being considered strikes because based off of how the rule is technically written, that is technically a strike, but throughout the spirit of baseball for the last 200 years, it's never been a strike. So it just changed dramatically the entire way you hit the try and the entire way that pitchers try to attack you and stuff like that too. It was just a mess. Not only that, but it just wouldn't work half the time too. It would it would um, crash halfway through games, and then all of a sudden the umpire, <laughs> the umpire would call time and then just like point to his ears, which basically would mean that the the robo umpire was down and now the strike zone was on him. So now all of a sudden you're getting two different strike zones in the middle of a game, middle of an a bat sometimes. So um, just between the unreliability of the system itself, the crashes, and then the um, inconsistency. So there would be times where, so they had to reset my strike zone three different times throughout the season. So basically one of the things that we asked the people like the the track man people that were making the system we said hey like what if i change my stance halfway through the season and i start hitting like jeff bagwell and i crouch really low and now my strike zone is literally a foot smaller than it was is it still going to start is it still going to register strikes 
at my stance the previous day where basically my my eyes are now where my chest was. And they're like, well, I know it adapts over time and yada, yada, yada. But I'm like, okay, that's not what we asked. We said like today, right now. Right. So that's that's the issue is that they take this, um, they try to they try to do, you know, X amount of at-bats over the course of your season and they try to form where your strike zone is. But the problem is a lot of people change their stance here or there throughout the season. And, and sometimes people do it, at, like say for like two strikes, there's a lot of guys that like to spread out a little bit with two strikes, they get a little lower, they choke up. And so now all of a sudden your strike zone is different than it was the pitch prior to that. And now you could take a pitch that is at your chin, but the pitch like the bat or I'm sorry, the pitch prior to that, you were standing upright and that's maybe at the top of the strike zone when now it's at your eyes. So there's just so many um, intricacies to the strike zone and to baseball and how it is applied that I just, I don't think it'll ever, it'll ever work. So it, it was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> Kidding with that. It was nuts. Not quite ready for prime time. No, not at all. You uh, you say that as a batter, but I know that you took the mound last year as I well. I did. I did. That was amazing. Any better when you were out there on the mound? Um, no. So here's the thing. The thing is that everyone complained about it because the pitchers complained about it all the time too. And the reason the pitchers complained about it is because they've worked for years to essentially be good at throwing balls that are just off the black that is still like as from, from an umpire's eyes register a strike. So now they're throwing these pitches and the track man system saying it's a ball off the plate and they're not getting these calls. Now they got to try to throw more balls like vertically up and down more, but that's not something that they've worked on. So basically everyone complained about it. It just didn't fit with like the spirit of baseball. It just didn't feel like it just, it, it was just an issue for everyone. Uh, but I did take the mound, which was awesome. It was so much fun. It was something I wanted to do my entire professional career. I just, um, my, my transition from prospect to non-prospect happened too fast, right? Like, so <laughs> when you're a prospect, there's no way you're ever seeing the mound as a position player because they don't want to get you hurt. But the problem is I, I went from like a super prospect to basically just like not prospect out of the game, like way too quick for that descent to happen to allow me to like get on the mound in normal affiliated ball. So I begged my manager in... Um, in indie ball, as it was the last game of the season, last game of the regular season, we had already clinched the playoffs. We were playing the team that we were going to play in the playoffs like right away. So we didn't want to throw another like another arm. It was the bottom of the ninth or tenth or something. Oh no, bottom of the tenth. I I, I came in, in the tenth because there was a guy on second base, and I was just letting it rip some heaters. So it was great. I had so much fun doing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It was, it was so much fun. So much fun. I had like I had way more adrenaline going on the mound that one half inning that I'd had for the last like four years playing baseball. <laughs> it was so much fun. So since, uh, you know, you know, beyond your, your time in, in baseball on the diamond, you have got a lot of other things going. We already mentioned that you went back to school. You got your degree from Clemson. Yeah. We referenced it a little bit at the top that you, uh, you stream on Twitch where, uh, if for people that aren't familiar, it's basically a video gaming platform where, right millions of people i i mean it i i know to people that don't play video games or, or know anything about it it seems weird that people would watch people play video games but it's so much more than that it's really an entertainment platform yeah correct and uh so you stream there and but you also are a, a 
actually, a, I, I want to say prolific. You've got quite a few things on your website and you're working on a book as well. Tell us about your writing. Yeah. So it's been a really interesting transition post playing career here. And there's so many things that I have passions about that I'm trying to see if I can't pursue and make financially viable. And even if I can, there's still things that I'm going to do because I love to do them. And writing is certainly one of them. Um, writing is something that I picked up near the, the near the end of my playing career. I needed something that was completely out of my element that would help me deal with some of the stress and anxiety that was coming with playing. Um, especially at the end of my career, I could sort of see the writing on the wall that things weren't trending the way that I wanted to. I was pressing a lot. I was really trying to like hold on to every moment I could in baseball, and that sort of leaked into my personal life. And so I just I, I started writing. Um, just as like a therapeutic output. And then I sort of fell in love with it because I guess if you guys can tell, I just, my brain is just always like on go. <laughs> this is a million miles an hour. There's always things rattling out of it. So I, I fell in love with writing and it became this, you know, really cleansing experience for me. And I started writing this book. I had an idea for it, like this sci-fi novel. I, I love like, I love fantasy and sci-fi and aliens and all kind of different stuff. So I started, I had this idea for this sci-fi book about um, basically what would humanity look like if they weren't raised by humans, if they were raised by aliens, essentially, like, would we, would we still act the same? Like basically just trying to explore like what parts of humanity are innate traits and what part are, you know, like the nature versus nurture discussion basically. And so I tried to basically take the entire concept of humanity and earth out of the picture and say, Hey, if you took eight humans and you plug them into an already established alien society and they were born and raised, um, without any parents, um, or any other human contact, how would they turn out? Would they turn out more like the alien society or would they be very recognizable to us as human beings now? Because that's just the essence of who we are as, as humans. So that I started writing that right away. I wrote about 10 pages and a really good buddy, Eric Stamets with the Indians, who was an avid reader. And I gave him these 10 pages and he read it and he's like, dude, this is pretty good. You should keep going. So I was like, all right, sure. Why not? And so I just kind of kept writing every day after games. It was just sort of this out, like this outlet for me to kind of get my stress, you know, frustrations and all kind of stuff out of me and kind of pour it into these fictional characters. And then sure enough, I looked up, you know, a year and a half later and I had this 400 page sci-fi novel completed. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I've been uh, I've been working on that now for about three years in terms of like editing it, revising it, polishing it, um, and I'm at the point now where I am super, super, super close to having it like the final copy done. I am in the process currently of hiring a cover designer, finding pub like finding self-publishing and all this stuff for it. So it's it's actually a reality now. So I feel like I can talk about it. So I'm really, really excited for it. It's something that. I think it's really important in life to push yourself beyond like what you're comfortable with and what's like, you know, easy for you to accomplish. And this is something that was definitely, if you would have told me I would have written a book five years ago, I'm like, you're an idiot, shut up. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's something that has really challenged me. You know, it's something that I would have never expected myself to do, but I've, I've absolutely fallen in love with doing it. And it's something that whether I sell, you know, a bazillion copies of this book, or I sell, you know, 10 copies of it, that doesn't really matter. I'm always going to write, I've got like a million ideas for more books and stuff I'm going to write. So it's something that, 
even if it doesn't career-wise pan out into something that's going to be financially sustainable for me, it's still something that's going to be a huge part of my life for sure. And that I've absolutely, um, absolutely fallen in love with. Well, that's awesome. And, and make sure, well, I mean, we, I, I've, follow you on, on social media and so forth. When that is actually available, we'll make sure to, to let everybody know. Looking forward to that. And they can also, um, we'll, we'll let you plug all your stuff uh, when, we're, when we're done as well. You also have a website where you've got some short stories in there. I read, I read four of your short stories yesterday oh, nice, and cool. enjoyed those as well. So really talented and I, I'm, I, you do so much. You know, I watched you stream yesterday and you were very entertaining. Then I went and read some of your stories and then I continued to do some research and saw, you know, videos and some of the stuff that you've done. I, I told Mark, and I think I told you earlier, I, I, I call you the most interesting man in baseball. <laughs> nice. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I've been really into the, uh, like I've always been a huge gamer my whole life. And so like the Twitch streaming, has sort of blown up in popularity and sort of seemed like a natural, you know, thing to sort of transition into because I like to entertain and I like to have a good time and have fun and play video games. And what I would explain Twitch to people who don't understand people watching other play people play video games, I attribute it to like the cooking channel on TV, right? Like people will sit there and watch Rachel Ray or Gordon Ramsay, like cook this delicious meal. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to go out and cook it themselves. It's entertaining. They like watching people that are, you know, really good at something do a task, right? It's like, I like, I, I contribute to watching the cooking channel or watching HGTV uh, property brothers and them renovating a house. Like you may never renovate a house in your life, but I love watching those things. I like watching the before and afters. Like it's, it's, it's entertaining. Um, yes. Someone is doing the task that you could yourself be doing, but sometimes it's enjoyable to watch people that are entertaining at that task and possibly, you know, really good at that task, maybe better than you at that task, do something. So that's what I kind of attributed to. It's sort of the, um, the new age version of the cooking channel or HGTV or the DIY gardening channel, stuff like that. So I've been really involved with that. I even invested in a, a startup company called eFuse. That's basically like trying to become the uh, a LinkedIn platform for this whole video game and esports world. So I've been like very involved with trying to get them off the ground and working and trying to get them to a point where uh, they're bridging the gap between traditional sports and esports. We've had a lot of like, you know, major league baseball players and NFL players participate in some of these video game experiences. So it's been a really cool experience uh, transitioning and trying to figure out where my place is sort of in the world post baseball. Well, that's awesome. And uh, again, we'll put it in the show notes and we'll, we'll mention it here. And well, you can mention it right now, but uh, uh, you do go by uh, by uh, Dickie Danger on Twitch. That's so right. it's easy that's to right. find. And uh, yeah, it's an it's a entertaining platform. Um, so this is the part of the show where we like to uh, we like to look at some old baseball cards Let's and do it. Uh, total up their value. It's a segment of the show that we like to call. And so we do Wax Packs Heroes. this earlier the, the old i guess the youngest pack i have is a 1991 score okay perfect so perfect <laughs> you probably haven't played with any of these guys um but i'm guessing that you have probably you know met some of these guys or have a story or two about these guys but the way that the way that we do this is uh, I've got an old Beckett here because we started off with a, a current Beckett, but none of these cards have much value Okay, uh, if you go buy the new stuff. So we've got an old Beckett from May 1992. Okay. We've got a couple of extra rules. 
if the player is sporting a mustache, which a lot Ooh, of these guys, nice. and you did, yep. um, you get an extra cent. Let's go. Nice. If they are wearing uh, real stirrups that we can see, you get okay. another cent. Perfect. Wearing two and ones, though, minus a cent. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then if they're a Hall of Famer, you get an extra five cents. Cool. Hey, can I throw one rule just for, for this? Because I because I love the old school thing that, that doesn't, no one wears anymore is the flip down sunglasses. If, so, uh, if someone's yeah. wearing the flip down sunglasses, can I get one extra cent for the sake so this of the is, argument? <laughs> Mark and I have been discussing... Any sort of glasses get Ooh. you, like if you got the Chris Sabo, you know, sports specs. Okay, okay. Or a lot of these players still wore like, uh, I call them science teacher glasses, you know. They yeah. were like normal glasses that took up half your face. Right, like Eric Sogard wears, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like Stogie, well, yeah. Except for his are small, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like even big, like Fernando Valenzuela type oh, glasses. Oh, okay, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 yeah. I thought you just meant yeah. like normal like lens crafter glasses because like Sogi Bear wears like normal glasses. I'm like, so get some like Oakleys with the thing on it. He's like, I just like these. I'm like, you're, okay. I, Mark, do you remember the first time the A's came through Seattle and Sogard was on the team? What did you call him? I can't hear Mark, but I we called him the accountant. That's funny. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's all. Awesome. All right. All right, let's do so it. So let's, let's open up this pack and see what we got in here. All right. And I apologize in advance for probably not knowing some like players that I should definitely know. Oh, there, there are some <laughs> of these players that we feel we should know and, and we don't. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So uh, we pulled this guy just a, a couple of packs ago. He was a pitcher, uh, pitching coach just a little while ago, I think, okay. for, the, for the Cubs. Okay. It's Chris Bazio here with yeah, the, okay, uh, with yeah, the I've heard that Brewers. Name. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know Bazio. Yeah, I, I, I've uh, heard of Chris Bazio for sure. He threw a no hitter, I think, in '87, is what I want to say, when he was with the with the Brewers. Still, that body's um, just he, peak performance. Look at that mustache! Boom! Let's yeah, go! Yeah. Nice. It, he's got a mustache now. I'm having a hard time telling if those. Oh no, that's a two and one. If you look uh, at his back foot, yeah, I see it. I see it. I see that, a two and one. Definite suck. Bozzy, damn tough. you. Uh, let's see, though. I'm going to guess that's probably not going to get any value. And mm. uh, yeah, unfortunately, nothing there. Nothing? Dang. Okay. All right. Now, this guy, I'm sure you will have, uh, you'll have something to say. If we could hear Mark, I'm sure he's got plenty of things to say. One of my favorite stories, I told you I'm a huge Ricky Henderson fan. Okay. I've told it a million times. This guy broke the streak of Ricky leading the league in stolen bases. He's now on the MLB network. Second baseman for the Seattle Mariners, nice, cool. Harold Reynolds. All right, cool. Very cool. I'm going to guess he's got a mustache. He always yeah, did. There's a mustache in there. Oh, yeah, I see it. That's a point for sure. There we go. Yeah, Harold so Reynolds, nice. One cent. I love those old school Mariners jerseys, you know? Those are, they need to bring, they need to wear those more often. Those are cool. Yeah, I, I, I uh, go back and forth between the trident, which is yeah. great, and I love the gold ass. Yeah, is, 100%. Is also, yeah. also great. Um, that card is not worth anything in Beckett's, but you do get a cent for the, for the mustache. Yes, let's go. And uh, I will just say it as, I, as Ricky called him up. I don't know if you've heard this story. Ricky called him up because he was hurt most of the year. So Harold won the stolen base title with, I don't know, it was like 66 stolen bases or something. It was right. really low. And so the next day, uh, Ricky calls up Harold and Harold tells a story. He goes... Uh, hey, Ricky, how you doing? And Ricky just says, Henderson here, 60 stolen bases. Ricky would have had that at the all-star break and Love click it. hangs up on him. <laughs> Love it. That's great. 
Uh, okay, here we go. Now, this guy has almost got a two-cent mustache. Uh, closer for the Cleveland Indians, Doug Jones. Ooh, look at that thing. That is a, that's a caterpillar right there. That is a mustache and a half. I love that. Yeah, that is quite the stash. Now, Doug Jones was the premier closer at one point, uh, right before Eckersley kind of came on the scene and became the the premier guy. But uh, nice. it is not worth anything, unfortunately, by Beckett. But that is come on, Beckett. Jeez, come on, Doug. I, I, <laughs> yeah, let me. We got the, we got the stash though. It's fine. We got one cent for the stash. Okay, this guy. Now, I think this is the guy that went on to be a pitching coach, and I think he managed John okay. Farrell for the Indians. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, so he was uh he managed Boston for a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he might was he managing when you hit that shot? No, I think uh, that was too that was too recent. I think he was yeah. more like a I don't know who was then. I played against John's son in triple A. Um or double A maybe. But yeah, so John Farrell, nice. Do I get do I get any points for doing any sense for that? Is that, is that worth anything? Uh, not by Beckett, but those are definitely real stirrups I can see in the nice. front. So, so, it's kind of, so that's a point, kind of, right? Heck yeah. Yep. There we go. So you can see over on the left-hand side there, our, our leaderboard, uh, to, to break the top 10, Okay. you need 34 cents. Dang, all right. I, so, need, a, I need a big pull here soon. You got some work to do. Yeah, I got some. How many, how many cards with the pack, just so I know? Uh, I think it's, is it 15 or 16? Okay, we got some, we got, we got some time. We got yeah. time. We got time. All right, we got time. All right, here you've got a special card. It's, it's a K-Man card Ooh. from the California Angels at this point. Okay. Mark Langston. That's nice. a good card. Look at that. Dang, that thing's cool. With the stirrups too. Nice. That's huge. Oh, yeah. Definitely real stirrups there. No mustache. Um, it's, no crazy. it's crazy to see how far glove technology has come along. Like I've seen basically all these guys' gloves, and they look like, you know, gloves that are in donation bins at like played against sports or something like, you know what I mean? Like they, these gloves, like the, the technology and gloves has gone through the roof in the past, you know, two decades, right? Like the gloves now are incredible. And that, that glove looks like a beer league softball glove. That <laughs> looks like, and I know if Mark could talk, he would back me up on this. That looks like Luis Polonia's glove, who <laughs> was infamous for having his glove was like two feet long yeah, so really that he could weird. grab anything in the outfield. It looks absurd. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that is unfortunately again not worth anything in Beckett, but you do get the scent for the uh, for the scrubs uh, there. Come on, Mark! I thought the yeah, K-Man I, one was good, but it's got the it's got the cool lines on. I thought that was gonna be worth something. Yeah, right. that, right. that should get, uh, It's Mark Langston. It should be worth. Got to pull like that. a Ken Griffey or something here. Come on. <laughs> so uh, this guy, I don't. Oh no, I do vaguely remember him. Uh, outfielder for the Twins, John Moses. John Moses, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess you're probably not going to remember him. He's definitely got a, a big league mustache. Yeah, there, I see stash, though. Yep. Definitely so see his stash. You're chipping, chipping away. Chipping away. Yes. Singles, consistent. Yep. Um, this guy was a speedster for, in this case, the Montreal Expos. Uh, I remember him a lot from the Atlanta Braves. Uh, also had a bit of a problem with cocaine. Otis Nixon. Okay. Now, this is a great card because look at it. He's wearing the classic Expos uniform. Right. He's sliding. I, I mean, that kind of looks like first base more than second base. Yeah, but I don't know a, what that is. That's interesting. He's like, I think he's post slide, but like you're right back at first base somehow, but clearly not a head first dive. I don't know what that is. I, I don't, but look at his helmet. It's I a say, double flap. Yep. 
but there's no it's not protruding out on the ears it's straight down it's like it look he kind of looks like the great gazoo from the flintstones yeah with that helmet but uh i can't tell stirrup wise that kind of looks like there's some sock down there but uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna rule this one inconclusive yeah i think i think that's a good call i think inconclusive is a good call i don't i don't i don't we don't really know now he usually had a wispy mustache, but I can't really tell on the front there. So I think mm. maybe we'll just call that one. Let's oh, call that one a look. wash. Yeah, so I, I, I see a little peach value. fuzz above his lip on the back there. I think I see a little peach fuzz. Yeah, we we go by the front. Ah, but he okay, always, okay, okay. He always right. did have kind of that wispy wispy mustache, like the the sixteen year old mustache. Gotcha. Okay. But all right. Well, here you go. So this is going to be this will be interesting. The uh, score this year had something they called the Dream Team cards. And they're black and white posed cards. And I remember the Ricky Henderson one because he's sitting in just his sliding shorts on top of a bunch of bases. You, however, have pulled not a Hall of Famer, but this Mm. could give you some value. Okay. It is Jose Canseco. Oh, let's go in the Denims. The shirtless shirtless Jose with the jeans on, letting it rip in the mullet. Oh, man, dude. I was supposed to play back then. I feel like I this is this honestly just should be my card. This is what I should look like right here doing this. I Mm -hmm. I play in the wrong era. I play in the wrong era. I feel like this was his idea to pose this. Oh, 1,000%. He he did a (laughs) self-published card of this one for sure. Okay, now, oh my goodness. <laughs> so, if you look at our leaderboard right now, um, you're, well, first of all, you're at five cents going into this card. Right. Brad Baluchin is an author that has the, uh, it's probably the most popular baseball book of this season. Out, okay. Where he opened a pack of 1986 tops, and then he went around and he talked to every player that was in that pack. Okay. Except for one had passed away, one was Carlton Fisk, and... Well, he doesn't talk to anybody, but so that was an 86 pack of tops. He got a a dollar and eight cents. Okay. This Jose Canseco card back in 1992 was worth a dollar 25. Let's go. Yes. That's what I'm talking about right there. Heck yeah, Jose. All day long. You have just obliterated the leaderboard. That's right. As it should be. As it should be. That's where I belong. We're in the top spot, baby. That's where where Dickie belongs up there. Top spot. Oh my gosh. That card right there. I mean, that's great. That is awesome. Congratulations. You're you're halfway. You're not even halfway through the pack and you're already way out there. Let's go. Uh, (laughs) Dominant. Dominant performance already. Let's go. Jose. All right. Jose is what I'm talking about. (laughs) So the next Pitcher for the Houston Astros, Mark Portugal. That's a really cool name, but I don't know him. Uh, yeah, he pitched for quite a while. Um, the card, I'm guessing, is not worth... Uh, yeah, the card's not worth anything. No mustache, no uh, no stirrups. But <laughs> it doesn't okay. matter at this point. It doesn't matter. Yeah, we're chilling. Also, Mark Portugal sounds like the name of like uh, a detective in my next crime novel, honestly. That, oh, there you go. Cool I think he... I think he is the pitcher. He might have the pitcher with the most career wins, uh, whose last name is also a uh, a country. Oh, that's cool. Well, I just I just made that <laughs> up. Say, <laughs> <I'm gonna> <laughs> there, yeah. Uh, next, we got uh, first baseman outfielder. This sounds like a, probably something that was on one of your cards. Okay. For the Rangers, Jack Darty. Jack Darty. Hmm. Uh, I remember the name. Uh, I and yeah, he was pretty much a utility guy. 
Um, that card is not worth anything. I, I hate to say it, but I think he's wearing some two and ones. Th- this these years, two and ones were popular, he, huh? Yeah, I think uh, just a lot of guys. So that's going to put a, a little dent Darn. in your score. It's okay. But All right, we're still we're we're hanging tight. Yeah, you're just you're just adding on with anything here. Yeah, uh, definitely get a point for this one for the real stirrups pitcher for the Chicago Cubs, Steve Wilson. Steve Wilson, little lefty, letting it rip right there. I have no idea who Steve Wilson is. Yeah, I, I don't even remember Steve Wilson, but that's a good looking card. It's in Wrigley. You can tell you can even tell what time of year it is. This is the first month or so, because you can see there's no ivy in the wall back there. Right. But uh, and he's got the long sleeves on. But that's a, it's a good looking card, at least. I really wish I would have played in Wrigley. Man, that's one, one stadium I wish I would have played. I never got a chance to play there. Favorite stadium that you, that you did play in? Um, I mean, it's got to be Fenway. Fenway is so cool. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's just, it's really hard to beat. I mean, Yankee stadium was amazing and even Toronto. I love the Rogers center, but that was probably only because they were in the playoff hunt at the time. So there was like 50,000 people there. So it was like the biggest stadium I played oh, wow. like the most fans I played in front of at the time. So I think either New York, Boston or Toronto. Actually, I love the, I love the old Czech Rangers stadium too. I'm kind of bummed that they made a new one. That place was awesome. So you're talking, we're talking, uh, Jose Bautista blue Jays. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that's season of 15. Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah the by bad default flip on this show, we think of, uh, Joe Carter, John Olerud, those teams. So right, yeah, right, that, right. The, yeah. No, this was the, uh, team. this is the bat flip team, the Donaldson, yep. Bautista and Carnacion. That team was loaded. Yeah. Yeah. Loaded. That was fun. Uh, next, this guy from my, I'm a big A's fan. I loved this guy. He was the epitome of a utility infielder. Lance O'Darn, you sank my blankenship. Ooh, nice. And Lance he's got real stirrups on there. Respect it. Is he, yeah. wearing, is he wearing the flip down glasses? Oh, I think he is. He, yeah, look at that. He is. Or is that just now, eye black? No, no, he is definitely. I, 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 yeah, he's got nice. both going on there. Right. I remember he, he was a champion of the flip downs. <laughs> nice. Which the, uh, the anniversary of the, uh, the guy that patented those just came across my Twitter feed the other day. Um, now, because you are so far in the lead, I'm, I'm just going yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask for a point. I was just messing with you about the flip. Downs. Our, our, our next season, we're going to incorporate okay. the, uh, the, the glasses, but that will get you one cent there for the, for the stirrups. Uh, for the, nice. The stirrups. Yeah. This guy catcher for the San Diego Padres. I remember this guy. He was just a, a big dude behind home plate. Mark parent, Mark parent. Hmm. Probably a little bit before your time there. Yeah. Never heard of him. Um, can't see his stirrups. He's a catcher, so I guarantee you he was wearing real stirrups, but we right. can't see it. Yeah, uh, you got to be able to see it. I get it. Yep. That's at the old Jack Murphy Stadium, I can tell there. This is one of my superpowers. I can always tell what stadium it is just by seeing in the background or, <laughs> or the wall or anything. I, for some reason, I can, I'm good at that. That's but, awesome. Uh, no value on that one. Uh, this guy, you're going to love his glove <laughs> pitcher for the Yankees, Dave LaPointe. Dave LaPointe. What is that thing? Look at that. That looks like I, I think so you hit bad, it on the head dude. when you said you'd see about eight of these if you went to play it again sports. Yeah. Gosh, like what are just the whole fact that like the whole like parts open right there is like fingers sticking out. Yeah, it's just like yeah. it's just this, it just looks like it barely even like it barely looks like it has fingers. It looks like it's like an oven mitt. Oh man, that's a tough look right there. It, it looks like if it looks like there's not even really a pocket. Like it just yeah. folds flat. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
Um, I think Dave Lapointe went on to be a pitching coach. Nice. But uh, I'm so not no sure. value with that one either. Yeah, I'm gonna guess. Yeah, no value on that. No mustache. Okay. Can't see the stirrups. Uh, your first Hall of Famer. You got two cards left here, and they're they're both Ooh, good nice. ones. Nice Hall of Famer. Yes. Now it's a Hall of Famer. There's two Hall of Famers nicknamed the Kid. Okay. This one is probably the 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 lesser of the two, not being Griffey, but it is catcher, Giants legend in this case, Gary Carter. Nice. That's got to be worth something right there. Well, you'll definitely get points because he is a Hall of Famer. Nice. Um, let's see. 215 is no value in Beckett's, but you do get five points because he's a Hall of Famer. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. And uh, we love Gary Carter here. It'd be better if he was in a Mets or an Expos uh, uniform, but Gary Carter as a giant. And uh, your final card here. This is this is going to be interesting to see what this is worth. Uh, he is wearing two and one stirrups, Ugh. but you you wouldn't really expect anything different from the wild thing. Mitch Williams. Nice. We, we were speaking of those Blue Jays playoff teams from the, uh, you know, from the, the early 90s. Not on it, but he is the one that gave up the home run to Joe Carter, the walk off. Oh, in really? The World Series. That's pitching wild. For I didn't the know that. Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, let's see what that is worth. That is. I can't believe Mitch Williams in 91 was not worth anything. What? Uh, Yeah, but he's going to. And unfortunately, he's even going to take a cent away because of those two and ones. But uh, yeah, that's uh, another. See, that's a little bit later in Wrigley because you can definitely see. Wait, so you say that you said you say that Mitch Williams is a Hall of Famer or Gary Carter? No, no, Gary Gary Carter. Carter That's what I thought. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I thought. I thought you said I had two left. They're both Hall of Famers. I was like, wait, is Mitch Williams a Hall of Famer? I didn't know that. Yeah, no, just two cards left. This was your last oh, one. Oh, okay, okay, Williams. I got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. He probably went up in value because once he was traded to the uh, to the Phillies, either in the middle of 91 or, or during uh, during the offseason of 92 is when he became kind of the dominant closer, but then gave up that bomb to Joe Carter to walk it off in the World Series. But uh, there is nothing to shake a stick at here because you are taking over. That's what I'm talking about. First place, the, let's go. The lead report here uh i'm gonna have to do some quick uh some quick editing here to get this uh this leaderboard updated but uh that is a heck of a round we've never had a card in this format that um was worth more than a dollar we did just finish a tournament that um we had somebody pull a bobby bonilla card for in and i think it was a 1986 Don Russ that was worth two dollars and twenty five cents. Dang, Bobby Bonilla is, is like a- my dad's arch nemesis because he's a big Indians fan. <laughs> so he hit that home run against the Indians in like ninety, what was that ninety five or six when I'm in the World Series, <laughs> and so <laughs> always oh, off, Bob- off, of, off Jose Mesa. And so my dad always yeah, like- Bobby Bonilla. We we often talk about just from the fact that he's still getting paid millions yeah. of dollars every year on Bobby Bonilla Day. That's right, and uh, of Best course deal playing. Ever playing cards with Ricky Henderson in the clubhouse uh, during the playoffs. <laughs> there <laughs> but, it is. Uh, top spot right there. Look at it. Whew. Yeah, that is very impressive. That's, that's going right. to that's gonna be hard to beat. We'll, uh, we'll we'll I've got I just got a whole box of these 91 t- uh, scores. So nice. we'll we'll keep those in the rotation for a while. But congratulations on that. As we wrap up here, I want to give, uh, first of all, say thank you. I apologize. Mark is having some technical issues. No worries. Um, 
But please, uh, can you tell everybody where they can reach you on social media, where they can see you on Twitch, where they can read your stories and everything else? Yeah, no. First off, thank you for having me on. It was uh, I had a great time, so I appreciate it. Um, yeah. So if you want to check me out, I'm on Twitter. It's at rshafe8, R-S-H-A-F-F, the number eight. Um, and then on Instagram, it's at dickydanger8. Um, and then on Twitch, it's twitch.tv slash dickydanger, D-I-C-K-Y-D-A-N-G-E-R. And then my uh, author website is shaferstories.com. And that's just S-H-A-F-F-E-R stories.com. And hopefully the book will be out here, hopefully in the next, I don't know, two and a half, three months. Hopefully it'll be ready to rock and roll. Um, so obviously I'll have a bunch of stuff on uh on that out and about. Uh, yeah, so that's basically it. I stream Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, at least until for right now, unless I uh, end up getting a real job here soon and have to work normal hours. And I'll probably push that back to the afternoons. But um, yeah, so I stream Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, come check me out if you want to hang out and have a good time. We got some cool people that we hang out with, have a cool community of uh, people that we just mess around with. So yeah, uh, thank you again for having me on. I really appreciate it. That was uh, that was great. We really appreciate you spending some time with us, pulling uh, a great, a great Jose Canseco uh, topless card. That's right. It, Absolutely. It, it Thanks, plays. Jose. Yeah, it does. Let's go. Great. Well, thank you very much, Ricky. Uh, Ricky. I got Ricky Henderson on the brain. Richie, all good. You're good. And, and I will put uh, all of your links as well in the show notes so that everybody can get to them there. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. We will uh, hopefully talk to you soon about a new book. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Take care. All right, so we would like to thank, once again, Richie Schaefer. That was a lot of fun. He is a fun guy. Again, check him out on, on Twitch. Uh, check out his uh, his webpage, his writing, but just a, an overall really great guy. So many uh, viral clips uh, on the <laughs> internet as well. And our first guest that has ever been mentioned on The Tonight Show. So That's right. There you go. We would like to remind everybody we talked about it earlier. You want to jump on that Hot Mic app. It is H-O-T-M-I-C. And you can find it uh, either on the internet at hotmic.io or uh, in the Apple Store or the Android Store. It is free if you use the invite code to strike noise, all one word, all caps. You can hear us talk about some something. We went so long today in the in our pregame show. That is exactly the kind of stuff you're going to get while we watch a game. So when we right. watch the 2001 uh, Game 7 World Series, we're going to be talking about just, we try not to talk about Kurt Schilling, but talk about the incredible season he had that year. And uh, oh, Craig Council's on that Diamondbacks team. So we will no doubt be making fun of his batting stance. That's right. Just so many things that we're going to be talking about. It should be a lot of fun. I hope you'll join us. Mark, we want to thank all of our listeners as always. We really do appreciate everybody listening, interacting with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Two Strike Noise. That is T-W-O Strike Noise. You can find us on YouTube as well. The uh, Richie Schaefer Wax Packs Hero will be putting that up on Thursday. So make sure to check that out. You can see that, that incredible Jose Canseco shirtless card with the mullet and the blue jeans and it is just sexy if you like the that stuff. definition of sexy i'll tell you what <laughs> uh mark they can get a hold of us via email as well right sure you can just uh send something to two strike noise at gmail.com now spell it out t-w-o 
strike noise at gmail.com. And this comes with a guarantee you write and I promise to get back to you. All right, everybody. Uh, I, again, Mark, I'm, I'm, I'm not asking anymore if you're going to be back. We've done 70 of these shows now. I feel like you're wow. locked in. I feel like you're committed. You're going to be here next week. Period. Yeah, and especially, you know, we're still in lockdown in Washington. We're only in phase two. So I got nothing else to do. All right. So everybody, thank you very much for listening. And we will see you again next week on another edition of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.